Hey, everyone. Just a heads up that this week's episode is about sex, and it's explicit. So maybe get the kids out of the room. When Viagra came out 20 years ago, men couldn't get enough of it. Guys, it's just the two of you. Curling up in bed with a favorite book is nice. But I think women would rather curl up with their favorite man. Viagra helps guys with ED get and keep an erection. Talk to your doctor about Viagra, America's most prescribed treatment for... The New York Times called it Viagra Madness. Last October, another new sex pill hit the market. This time, it was for women. Well, there is something now called the little pink pill. It's called Addy. And it's supposed to treat female desire. The FDA had rejected the drug twice. Now to that big news about the so-called female Viagra. Addy was so highly anticipated that the pharmaceutical company that developed it was bought out for $1 billion just weeks after the drug was approved. But in doctors' offices, the response has been really different. Well, I've talked to a number of patients about it. But when I explain to them uh, the details of how they need to take it and what they need to give up, I've had no takers. Dr. David Gandell is an OBGYN in Rochester, New York. And how many women have said no? I would say a couple dozen that I've discussed it with. Uh, But prior to talking to you today, I called a major pharmacy chain in our area. And I asked them if they'd had any prescriptions Uh, written for Addy. And they said, oh, yes, we had two prescriptions. And then they looked and they said, well, they're actually for the same patient. Um, And it looks like it would have been covered. And then they looked and they said, well, she never picked it up. It's not that sexual desire isn't a big problem for his patients. I would say my impression is about 20% of all couples who are together, and perhaps in what they feel is overall a satisfying relationship, are not having sexual intimacy. That's so surprising to me. I mean, is it surprising to you? (laughs) Well, not anymore. So why isn't Addy more popular? The first problem, in clinical trials, Addy was just a little bit more effective than a placebo. You have to take it every day, not just when you want to have sex. There's also this long list of drugs you just can't take while you're on Addy. Antibiotics, birth control pills, antidepressants. But the biggest issue is that If you combine it with alcohol, uh, there's a significant risk of uh, fainting and injuring yourself. So that to put a woman on Addy, we actually have to have them sign a contract that they will drink no alcohol whatsoever when they're taking it. So if it's a choice between a glass of wine and maybe having sex, I'll go with the wine. I think... That's absolutely what happens. If a woman has already gone uh, through a time period where she's not having that much sex, but she's drinking her wine, she's not wanting to give up her wine. In the first five months of Viagra's release, doctors wrote nearly 4 million prescriptions for it. For Addie, there were barely over 3,000. It was too good to be true. And this is why they had to go before the FDA committee for drug approval three different times before they finally got it approved. And I think um, the argument was, well, if you're going to approve Viagra for men and for male sexual function, why aren't you doing it for women? And this is the question we're going to try to answer. Why isn't there a sex drug for women that works? I'm Mary Harris, and this is Only Human. We'll also meet a researcher who's trying a completely different approach to try to stoke female desire. 
why don't we have a Viagra-like pill for women? We do have a Viagra-like pill for women. It's called Viagra. (laughs) This is Nicole Prouse. She researches sex. She actually started working at the Kinsey Institute right around the time that Viagra was approved. She did research showing that the little blue pill that works so well on men, it works on women, too. If you give a woman these, uh, one of these pills and you show her a sex film, stimulate her sexually in some way, you will see an enhanced or increased vaginal response uh, and heat response when she is taking the drug as compared to when she's not. The main difference is if you then ask her, how sexually aroused do you feel? There's no difference between the two conditions. Hold so it. the main so <laughs> you can feel aroused but not have desire. They're not even feeling aroused, so their body is aroused. They're having greater blood flow just like the boys do uh, to their genital area, but women don't generally use that to judge their sexual arousal. Why? We are working on that question. <laughs> so there's uh, there are lots of theories about how exactly that works. Uh, I think, you know, one most simple explanation is that for men, there's direct visual feedback. That is, if you ask a man how aroused he is, he looks down, <laughs> sees how erect his penis is, and then reports how aroused he feels. <laughs> well, I guess it's a In 7 out of 10. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So women, even though we have physical signs of arousal and we also have tumescence and we have lubrication, there's not this direct visual feedback. Whatever the case, uh, women don't seem to integrate the information from their genitals very strongly when they're making judgments about how they feel sexually. And that's very well-replicated finding. Huh. So if you're looking to make a sex drug for women, this is a big problem. Doctors can see that a woman's body will respond physically to a drug like Viagra. But women don't actually feel turned on when they take it. This is true for men, too. We just don't talk about it that much. The funny thing about Viagra, I say Viagra won't make her pretty. And what I mean by that is a lot of people think you need an erection, you take Viagra, you get an erection. That's not true. You take Viagra, and if your brain is sufficiently stimulated to start the cascade that would initiate an erection, then you will get an erection. So if you take a Viagra and your partner is still very unattractive to you or they're being mean to you, the Viagra will not be effective. So I'd say for both men and women, you know, we need to understand the central mechanism, we would say, so the, how the brain affects the sexual response downstream. Figuring out this central mechanism, what makes us want to have sex in the first place, is Nikki Prouse's mission. At 37 years old, she just closed her lab at UCLA to form her own company, Liberos. Their tagline is the freedom to desire. Prowse is a neuroscientist by training. She calls science her religion. And she focuses on sex because there's still so much left to discover, especially for women. So what made you want to make this work into your career? Oh, the second I was in the lab, <laughs> I was like, this is a done deal. How do I make this my job? <laughs> so, Why? Uh, it's fascinating, and it spoke to the geek in me. Just if you like to nerd out, this is your field because it's so young, unlike studying depression where there are you know, already 200 PhDs, neuroscientists working in that area. Within sexuality, 
you can count on one hand how many neuroscientists are working in that area. So there's a tremendous opportunity for discovery, a lot of nerding out. <laughs> it's just the perfect field for me. And part of what's interesting to me is um, you're still doing this basic work to understand how arousal works in women. You actually bring people into the lab and stimulate them sexually and see what happens. Do you think of yourself like a modern-day Masters and Johnson? Definitely. I think we're as close to Masters and Johnson in the U.S. these days as it gets. William Masters and Virginia Johnson were pioneering sex researchers who started their work in the 1950s. You may know of them from the Showtime series Masters of Sex. But don't you think we should start with one of our more dynamic findings? It's like vaginal contractions. Every woman, myself included, has experienced them, but nobody knows they exist. And we will present that. How? We know they exist because we've watched them, but you can't wire up a vagina for graphical verification. Like Masters and Johnson, Nikki Prouse is committed to studying sex in the lab. But doing that research at university was challenging. She says getting approval for her work, research that included inducing orgasms, became difficult. Like Masters and Johnson, one of the things they were, of course, famous for is their observational studies where they would bring people in to have a full sexual response while they monitored with a variety of different, uh, you know, pieces of equipment. And generally, most labs in sexuality are still very hands-off uh, for the mostly conservative reason, you know, that, oh, we shouldn't be in the room if someone's being sexually stimulated. We need to be observing uh, from a side space instead. And we shouldn't be asking to put things on their butt um, to measure things because that's dirty. You know, you do whatever you need to do to do the science right. And if that means an anal probe, then by God, you know, we're going to build it. We're going to test it. And we're going to do it right. This probe, it's called an anal pressure gauge, is a device of her own design. She uses it to measure the physical signs of orgasm, those vaginal contractions. At the same time, she uses an EEG to understand what an orgasm looks like in the brain. Looking at her results, she's noticed something strange. We found that many women in our lab, when they reported having an orgasm, actually were not having any of the physical signs of an orgasm. What does that mean to you? I have no idea. <laughs> Clearly, they're having a good time. Like There's some <laughs> pleasure peak there. There's something that causes them to say, I feel that I am having some type of peak experience right now. But that experience appears quite different for some number of women than it is for men. Here's another problem. Most research into the female orgasm relies on women simply telling scientists whether or not they've climaxed. Nikki Prouse thinks that's far too vague of a measurement, because if women don't understand what's happening in their own bodies, scientists won't either. Basically, you know, any study that you're seeing that claims to have an image of the brain at orgasm does not have an image of the brain at orgasm. They don't know what they're getting. They're getting an image of the brain when women think they're having an orgasm, and that's all it is. So that sets us back. This is just an initial finding with a small sample of women. But for Nikki Prouse, it shows just how profound the disconnect between women's bodies and brains might be. So I've started, of course, at this point, it goes personal. And I start asking my friends, I was like, do you, how do you know you're having an orgasm? <laughs> it's like, what, what exactly criteria are we using? And when you, you know, so this is complete uh, non-scientific reporting at this point. But, you know, I feel goosebumps all over my body. I was like, well, 
that's great, but that's not <laughs> it's not a thing. <laughs> it's not what we would physiologically call an orgasm or uh, you know, I've had some women say, oh, well, I have two types of orgasms. And they didn't mean clitoral and vaginal. You know, they meant I have one that's a body orgasm and one that's a mind orgasm. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, because we're not asking about that in our surveys. <laughs> this is uh, this is off the charts. So, hmm. and I think it might partially be due to, you know, where do we ever learn what an orgasm is? Do you talk to your mom? Your dad? Certainly not. <laughs> Sisters, uh, sounds like I didn't. you might. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, yeah, growing up, certainly not. I'm Mary Harris. This is Only Human. When we come back, how Nikki Prouse went from small town Texas to the Kinsey Institute, and the experimental way she's hoping to treat the problem of sexual desire. If it's not a pill, what is it? This episode together, we wanted to know what our female listeners thought their sex lives really needed. Would a pill help? My partner and I had lots of amazing sex for the first nine years of our relationship. Then we had kids, and I was a dead zone for the better part of four years. Although we were having sex, I was not able to have an orgasm, and I did a lot of research and found that one of the off-label side effects of taking Wellbutrin is that it helps alleviate that, and all I can say is it was sort of like a magic pill. I would never take a pill. It's just not for me. We made date night mandatory once a month. We did 30 days of oral sex. We worked on reigniting our sex lives, and today we have a healthy sexual relationship. I have endometriosis. One of the symptoms I have is just excruciating pain while having sex. I would definitely create a pill that could help women like me not have any pain or discomfort. Two years ago, I made a New Year's resolution to stop faking orgasms. At some point, it just becomes easier to feign pleasure than have to explain the complex reasons why I sometimes don't feel fulfilled. If I could take a pill that meant never having to fake it again, I would. Let's keep the discussion going. Tell us what you think after you hear the rest of the episode. Leave a comment at onlyhuman.org or give us a call and leave a message at 803-820-WNYC. That's 803-820-9692. This is Only Human. I'm Mary Harris. And I'm talking to sex researcher Nikki Prouse. She got her start at the famed Kinsey Institute, but it was almost accidental. She'd grown up in small-town Texas, a port city called Beaumont. She was one of six kids and the only daughter not to have a debutante ball. I refused. (laughs) I was asked, and I told my parents, no way. Even then, I was a little progressive. (laughs) But I I still went to my little sisters when they went through it (laughs) and saw them and clapped and kept my mouth shut. She followed a boyfriend to Indiana University, and she started working in the Kinsey sex lab for college credit. How did you explain your job to your parents? 
I didn't explain my job to my parents. Every time I would start to go there a little bit, it was usually my stepmom that's like, uh-uh, not at the dinner table. So how did you learn about sex? <laughs> the way everyone else learns through pain and misery. <laughs> no, no. Um, was there like a talk? I, I definitely had, you know, uh, the typical class everyone has that's taught by a coach and reinforces uh, waiting until marriage and shows scary pictures of STDs. That's what I remember from my Texas sex education. So it was abstinence. Um, it was definitely an abstinence program, and I remember the images. They are they're memorable. That's what true. images? What did they look like? <laughs> oh, they just put giant pictures of vulvas on the screen that were infected with, like, really progressed cases of gonorrhea. <laughs> you know, saying basically, you know, if you have sex, this is what will happen to you. Nikki Prouse thinks these scare tactics are where women's problems with desire begin. Girls are told they can get pregnant, that they can get sick. But pleasure is rarely part of the conversation. And she isn't convinced pharmaceuticals will ever be the answer, which is why she's experimenting with something different, transcranial magnetic stimulation. When did you first get interested in the idea of using brain stimulation to stimulate desire? So I got interested in brain stimulation Actually, back in 2006, I had interviewed an internship site that had a brain stimulation unit. And I said, if I come here, I'm knocking on your door the first day I'm here. (laughs) uh, uh, It was one of the very, very early labs. Um, Why did you think that? Why did you you think, oh, this this might work? Because they were were using brain stimulation and depression. That was the first uh, application. And there was every reason even then to think, you know, Low sex drive was strongly tied to low mood, depression. For the last decade, psychiatrists have been using transcranial magnetic stimulation, TMS, to treat depression that doesn't respond to therapy or drugs. It's a milder alternative to electroshock therapy, delivering magnetic pulses directly to the brain. Nikki Prouse wants to see if she can use the same technology to treat low desire. In her Los Angeles lab, she's recruiting research subjects from the casual encounters pages of Craigslist. For 150 bucks, they agree to have their brain stimulated. And it's thought to last about 30 minutes, so we have a pretty quick window. So once their brain has been stimulated, we walk them back over to the sex lab and we hook them up. So far, she's tested it in about 20 people. Her subjects watch pornography under strict physical observation, including that anal pressure gauge. She monitors their brain waves to see if someone who's had their brain stimulated will get more excited when they know they're about to watch pornography. It's her way to quantify desire. There can be side effects, like headaches, even seizures. What, is it, what does it feel like? Uh, TMS? I won't do it. <laughs> so, and I'll tell you why, because uh, normally I say, you know, I don't do anything to my subjects that I wouldn't do to myself. Yeah. But... Uh, TMS is therapeutic. It's something that is thought to alter the brain in permanent ways. And I like my brain how it is. (laughs) I don't want to change it. So, uh, you know, one stimulation session, frankly, is probably not going to, you know, going to do anything one way or the other. You really have to have a series to see permanent change. But I don't want to do TMS on myself. How did we get here where women are needing shock therapy to have better sex? I mean, how much of the problem is really cultural? (laughs) 
I think TMS, uh, shock therapy, as you say, all these different approaches are not going to work for the vast majority of women who have low drive. That stinks, but I think it's because uh, largely these are relational issues. So, you know, the fact that uh, he or she won't help with the house cleaning and that really rubs you the wrong way and you don't like them that much anymore, you don't feel respected – it's hard to get turned on in that circumstance, and there is no amount of pills or brain stimulation that's going to improve your ability to respond to a partner you hate. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we joke sometimes, too, and say, you know, it also could be a Bob problem. What we mean by a Bob problem is if you have a heterosexual couple that's in and the woman doesn't seem to be uh, aroused or not interested in her partner, sometimes you get the sense the guy just either has no idea what he's doing or – that she's not getting what she needs sexually, and he's not responsive. And no amount of pills or TMS are going to fix that partner. Oh, God, that's so sad for everyone. If you had one piece of advice for women, what would it be? Slower. You know, we feel so much pressure to... Keep up with our partner, uh, especially if you're in heterosexual relationships where, you know, guys can be much more responsive, much more quickly, not only with their erections, but also with their orgasm. And, you know, there's lots of evidence now showing how much women sacrifice their own pleasure, interests and desires uh, because they feel the need to cater a bit more. And nothing wrong with catering once in a while, treating your partner, but... You know, to continually kind of deny that we have an interest in sexuality and you know, make those demands to say, you know, you partner, you really need to slow down. You know, I'm not there yet. You know, they get that message from you and then the next woman and the next woman, they will slow down and then we will have better partners. <laughs> We're all in this together. Okay, ladies, we can do it. You heard it here first. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Nikki Prouse, for joining us. Thanks so much. It was fun. Nikki Prouse is the founder of Liberos. You can find out more about her research at onlyhuman.org. And while you're there, tell us about your experiences with sex and desire. Does your sex life need some improvement? Got any tricks you've used to make things better? Share your story with us. Only Human is a production of WNYC Studios. Our team includes Paige Cowett, Amanda Aronchik, Elaine Chen, Julia Longoria, Kenny Malone, Fred Mogul, and Ankita Rao. Our technical director is Michael Raphael. Our executive producer is Lital Malad. Thanks this week to Patricia Willens. Thanks also to Megan Kinane and Eleni Murphy. Jim Schachter is the vice president for news at WNYC. I'm Mary Harris. Talk to you next week. Support for WNYC's health coverage and Only Human is provided by the Torina Endowment Fund, the Hearst Foundations, Jane and Gerald Catcher, the Iris and Junming Lee Foundation, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the Simons Foundation, the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, and the Winston Foundation. 